Welcome back to Square Horror. I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the master of ceremonies, Matt. Uh, maybe we should have learned how to do that in sign language. I mean, I don't know how well that would do on our audio-only podcast. It would um, do terribly. Yeah, <laughs> it I don't would think, not it, would, work I don't think it would end well. Um, no. So sadly, um, our main character of this week's movie would not be able to enjoy Square Horror. But luckily, all of you listeners out there, you can enjoy Square Horror this week. Yeah. Isn't that great? Isn't it great that you can hear us? And you don't, theoretically, don't have someone stalking outside your house? I mean, I have to add theoretically just in case. Yeah, maybe you should, maybe you should look. Um, Maybe take your headphones out, because he might be standing at your sliding glass window, uh, tapping a knife, being like, what the fuck? She she just don't, she just not hear me? What the fuck? Because, okay... (laughs) We will get into it later, but the killer for this movie is a lot less scarier <laughs> upon like, oh, the yeah. fifth rewatch of this movie. Um, so what movie are we covering, Danny? What movie has mass killers stalking and people that can't hear? So in a turn of events from what we initially planned, because right. um, Netflix decided to change their plans, um, this week we are covering uh, the Netflix original Mike Flanagan movie, Hush. Um, yes! So uh, directed by Mike Flanagan and co-written by Mike Flanagan and his wife Kate Siegel, who star in the movie. Um, I found out that they came up with the I, like the premise of this movie while they were on a date. Uh, mm-hmm. like a do you know? Do you know where they, they wrote like, most of it? Huh? Do you know where they wrote most of it? I'm sorry to cut you off. Do you know where? I thought this is where you were going. Uh, do you know where they wrote it? Most of it. I know they wrote parts of it, uh, mapping it out through their own house, which created mm-hmm. some issues when they couldn't find a house that looked like theirs when they were filming. <laughs> um, but I don't know where they actually wrote it. I know that's where they like thought out some of the beats. Mm. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry for stepping on your thunder. Um, it was just a cool thing. Um, last podcast on the left, one of my favorite podcasts, had an interview with Mike Flanagan right before Dr. Sleep came out. And they talked Amazing. about Hush. I gotta send it to you. It's fucking incredible. Um, but uh, one of the things they talked about was the breakout success of Hush, which we'll be getting into. Um, mm-hmm. And he said that him and his wife, Kate, uh, wrote the majority of it while they were staying the night at the Stanley Hotel. Which I think is the first of many... I'm serious. I think it's the first of many... um, Mike Flanagan styles, whether he knows it or not, styles himself very similar to like a visual storytelling version of Stephen King. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that just like put the the icing on the cake for it. That Stanley Hotel, for those that don't know, is very famously the hotel that Stephen King stayed at uh, while he was either writing or it inspired, but The Shining. Like, the Stanley Mm. Hotel is the quote-unquote Shining Hotel. And Mike Flanagan, aside from just making a bunch of Stephen King products into movies, has also started to kind of do his own Stephen King-type motif in his own art and it was cool that he had his similar the shining moment with his mm-hmm. wife of course the writing partner for this movie um we we've talked about mike flanagan on haunting of hill house before is that it on this I, podcast i think that might have been it and that was god almost three years ago years now. ago okay <sighs> um i feel like one of the first things we should do to unpack this movie is to talk about Mike Flanagan. I know mm-hmm. that, um, at, at least for you and me, 
Uh, we are big time Mike Flanagan fans, which I'm going to call. Oh yeah, Fana- I'm going to call us Fanagans. I'm workshopping it, but Mike it's, Flanagan it's a workshop, fans. But it's, it's in progress. I like it. I mean, it's better than Flanaverse. I love the guy, but I really do not. <laughs> I'm not. I am not supporting that. Um, so writer director Mike Flanagan, and in this breath we have to talk about Kate Siegel, but I'm sure we'll talk mm-hmm. more about her as we get into the movie because uh, she is our main character. But Mike Flanagan, um, writer director, powerhouse. I'm gonna say is uh, one of my personal favorite artists um, working in horror today, let alone like mm-hmm. filmmaking today. Um, one of my favorite things about the things that he does with his work, which is very much like Stephen King, is he always sets out to find the human element in the horror that he is conveying, be it a deaf woman or a woman shackled to a bed or mm. a bunch of siblings trying desperately to not talk about how they were all haunted when they were children. And especially with Midnight Mass, I feel like it all comes to a head, which is serendipitous for this movie, um, mm-hmm. that Midnight Mass is something that brings all different types of people together to tell the same narrative from mm. all these different worldview perspectives and how it impacts all of them. Some of them it's horror and some of them it's not. And I feel like in that way, for him to transcend horror, I'm already getting like to my peak mm-hmm. on this shit. For him to transcend horror in that way, to tell very human stories, I feel like in a way he is a modern day Stephen King. Uh, and I really respect is. the fuck out of him. Um, he's also just has, like, the best vibe. If you ever see, like, a video of him just, like, being himself, he seems like a really chill dude, um, which is something I also have to appreciate when it comes to someone who's, like, so well adept in their field, because, like, not only is he a brilliant man, but he can also, like, just joke around and have fun, which I feel like... God, have you seen his TikToks? (laughs) Oh, I was so glad you brought that up, because (laughs) this man fully joined TikTok maybe two, three months ago, and he immediately hit the ground running, poking fun at himself, uh, using his wife to poke fun at him. Like, he was just having a great time. Um, He even made an appearance, I don't know if you've watched this yet, Matt, Um, he was the announcer for the Dead Meat Horror Awards Best Original Horror Movie. And uh, Kate Siegel did one of the other awards. I can't remember which one she did. But when I saw her Mm -hmm. show up, I was like, if they got Mike Flanagan, I'm going to lose my shit. And then they (laughs) did. PSA to Dead Meat, if you're listening. We will also come on as featured (laughs) presenters if you think we're cool enough. We will do literally any topic. We will do any of them at all. We'll do anything. We'll just show up, honestly. Baby steps. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of uh, baby steps, I feel like Hush is uh, the baby step to the uh, eventual uh, feels juggernaut that he that Mike Flanagan and Kate Siegel will build to with more and more of their work. Um, mm-hmm. I guarantee we'll be covering uh, more of their works together as we progress through the show. Again, we've already talked about Haunting of Hill House, but Hush, I feel like, is very. Um, kind of interesting on its own because i don't it may not be specifically true for in like a general sense but it at least is my uh introduction to mike flanagan it's a very important movie uh in a general sense it's a very important movie to me uh Mm. i feel like when we're talking modern classics this one has to be discussed whether you're a flanagan fan or not 
Mm-hmm. Well, I've how I've been describing it to people recently is it is, and I mean this with no um, hyperbole. It's one of my favorite horror movies of the 2010s. No, it's, it's straight up, straight up. Like it is so well crafted and so intense at every moment. Even on the rewatches when you know exactly what's going to happen next. And even when the killer gets a little less intimidating and more goofy. <laughs> but <laughs> Oh my god, uh, I love him. <laughs> uh, but like the fact of the matter is that um, he creates such an intensity with so limited dialogue in this movie. I think there's only 15 minutes of um, speaking in this whole movie. And this movie's uh-huh. an hour and 20 minutes long. So there's about... A little over an hour without a single word being spoken, mm-hmm. which is just so impressive. And he still it's manages really to impressive. fill the void with like ominous sounds. Like they use the a sound from an ultrasound machine to be ambient oh, noise in the background. That that's so cool. Um, because originally they thought about making this a true blue silent film, but um. Mike Flanagan and Kate, when Kate Siegel, when they were writing it, they were like, "There isn't a great way to like convey as much intensity in a completely silent film if you're not necessarily taking away the like noise that people are used to, because that will unnerve people in and of itself." So they decided to kind of mix the bag. I think it's a really good call for them to. Make sure that they kept it. They they made sure for the audience to keep in mind that the main character is deaf. So there's a mm-hmm. number of scenes within the movie where they do cut out the dialogue, and it is purely just vibrations, very mm-hmm. low tone um, waves, like sound waves, um, that do give you the sense of what it is like to be in an inaudible environment where a lot of mm-hmm. things are happening, and you can still like you can feel that things are happening. So it's not like they just ripped the audio out. Mm-hmm. But they do a good job of balancing that. Um, and and you, as you mentioned, like for only 15 minutes of dialogue, um, a lot of it is conveyed through acting choices, very small nuances. Um, mm-hmm. There's only about five people in this movie, and one of them only shows up on FaceTime. So yep. that's what we're talking about here when we're talking. Not only is this movie very much in service of telling the story without much words, it's also very self-contained and mm-hmm. it it's it's very strong kind of like i mean this movie has a lot of parallels to like the strangers um yeah. but i feel like it, it's even more so because what the strangers does with a lot of silence and a very small cast it makes you feel like this is happening in its own little pocket of the world and it might as well be on another planet mm-hmm. yeah um well and i do also have to say that um as much as we're going to talk about how great this movie is, I do want to also back it up with some like other big names that also know about how good this movie is. Um, like the director of The Exorcist, William Friedkin, is a giant Whoa. fan of this movie and encourages people to watch it. Um, Stephen King himself, wow. shortly after the movie came out, was like, damn, how good was Hush? It's like up there with the OG Halloween, white-knuckling this one. Seriously? And I'm just like, god damn. <laughs> When I, like, again, it should be understated. We are Mike Flanagan fans. We love this movie. But it is zero amount hyperbole to say that it is a modern classic. Like, it it really does serve as, like, almost a period piece. Like, like Halloween for the 70s and Scream Mm -hmm. for the 90s. 
Hush it came out in 2016. It does a yeah. really good job of capturing the modern uh, mechanisms, like just the shit that comes to play once you're living in a post-2010 world. And it does it without beating you over the head with it. Like, mm-hmm. imagine the abject horror of not being able to connect to your neighbor's Wi-Fi because it's password protected. Like, that's yeah. the type of shit that doesn't exist before 2010. And if it existed after, it would mostly be usually played to, like, comedic effect. In this mm-hmm. case, it is bone-dry horror that she mm-hmm. cannot connect to her neighbor's Wi-Fi. Like, that yeah. sort of thing is very integral to crafting the narrative of this movie and i feel like it's so good that all of these other directors who made these i mean just speaking for the exorcist mm-hmm. hugely uh you know culturally significant horror films stephen king is one of the most commercially successful authors of all time all time and mike flanagan worships the ground that he walks on and both mm-hmm. him and the guy that directed the goddamn exorcist are saying that this movie is important and i feel like a lot of people didn't really catch it because it was a netflix original now before i know we have some strong words about netflix for this episode <laughs> but before yes. we do can we please for a minute talk about the positives Remember positives. Positives of Netflix original horror, especially in like the mid 2010s. So I, that's how I wanted to start this because I, Matt is very kind. I'm going to be a little bit meaner in this episode than I think I am the balance. Um, (laughs) But I did want to start with some of the positives because Netflix has in the past few years been fantastic to Mike Flanagan and offered him such great opportunities to really build and grow like the haunting series and the midnight mass Mm -hmm. series the midnight club and the upcoming uh fall of the house of usher all of these are series that netflix gave mike flanagan the opportunity to not only do but just kind of run with and they were just like listen you did good keep it up and we'll keep paying the bills and then eventually mike flanagan started to get sick of netflix and so he's moving his um talents elsewhere i believe he's moving over to amazon prime next yes amazon prime um and so i think that netflix should be uh commended for what they've done for the horror community in the past few years because they have offered so many originals granted sometimes of varying quality but the one thing you could always count on is mike flanagan (laughs) is that mike flanagan's materials on netflix would always be top tier shit and there's no no way around it. I don't think I've ever talked to somebody who hasn't had at least one Mike Flanagan film or TV show that they haven't loved. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, every single person that has seen this movie loves it. Like, there is not a single mm-hmm. person I've ever met that's been like, it was dope. Like, even if they didn't love it, they can at least recognize that a fuckload of care and time went into it. And I'm going to pat us on the back. I don't remember when, but I feel like at one point or another, we did make the comparison that, like, you know, the death of of Blockbuster and family and, like, rental video, uh, Mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes, was streaming. But I feel like it didn't kill the subcultures and, in fact, gave them a way to uh, expand. So, like, back in the day, like, I'm not speaking from experience, I'm just saying from what I know, from back Mm -hmm. in the day, um, horror... It, you know, obviously has always been its own little subgenre, but 
you kind of were limited by whatever was at your like local video store. And what's mm-hmm. cool about the local video store is that movies that go direct to video are right alongside movies that were huge in the theaters. So yeah. you got, you know, Scream right next to Hellraiser 6. So like mm-hmm. you got all of these flavors for all these different types of horror fans and it can turn people on to new otherwise very niche cult horror and i feel mm-hmm. like netflix has given and, and the other streaming services as well but netflix obviously started it mm-hmm. gave that subculture to the world it gave anyone with a netflix password or a netflix account i'm sorry netflix um anyone with a netflix account that they were paying <laughs> for the whole time whatever the fuck that they care about they gave all of these viewers um like it gave them the skeleton key to go into this horror aisle and peruse and yes there's quite a bit of movies that suck but mm-hmm. then there's things like Hush, where it then become. And I mean, I can speak from my own experience with this, but like, Hush was one of those movies that like, I was hanging out at one of my buddies' house, me and a couple of guys, Connor. I know you're listening. We were hanging out at at, <laughs> at his basement, and uh, you know we were watching all these horror movies like into the night, into the wee hours of the night, mm-hmm. and we came across Hush. One of our friends was like, "Is this the one with the deaf girl?" And we're like, "Oh, that sounds kind of cool." We turned it on. 15 minutes in, we are all glued to our seats, you know, eyes unblinking against the TV, watching something like this. And I remember going to look at my friend about halfway through, and I'm like, this movie's really fucking scary. And by Mm -hmm. the end of it, it was one of those movies that, like, anytime, you know, horror movies were mentioned, I'd always kept with, like, yeah, but man, you got got Netflix? You gotta check out Hush. It is Mm -hmm. nuts. Well, yeah, it's one of my favorite films to be able to recommend that are streaming originals because um not only is it it's on the shorter end which also makes it easier for me to recommend to some people who may be on more of a time crunch when they're looking for movies but it's also a very like i don't want to say a safe intense movie um but like it's not going to be something that like throws you into the deep end and leaves you out there it's something that's going to throw you into the deep end and then slowly pull you back and make you do half of the work like, it is very much mm-hmm. a joining process of the media and the audience having to come together to really enjoy this movie. Um, right. Because, yeah, like like you said, every time I've watched this movie, I was literally doing work while I was watching. <laughs> I started the movie today, and I made it maybe 10, 15 minutes in, and I just had my laptop sitting in my lap, and I was just glued to the TV for the next hour, not doing a single damn thing of work. Because it's, I just get so yeah. invested, even to this day, with this movie. And it, I think one of its strengths, and we will definitely get into it more later, is that like what we always talk about, where like those those movies that you show, you know, non horror fans or relative, you know, newcomers, and they can't ever get over the bad decisions. Mm. Um, you know, the, the characters are stupid. They're making bad calls. This and that. Hush is completely predicated on the fact that you and the main character at the same time are trying to figure out what to do next. Ruling Mm -hmm. out bad ideas, trying out good ideas. You know, when shit doesn't work, it's like, all right, now what do we got to do? And to present it in that medium, especially when it's a streaming platform, so, you know, you got people over uh, Mm -hmm. with their own Netflix passwords. Don't worry, Netflix. Um, You got all these people here... (laughs) You know, screaming at the TV, be like, try this, you know, try this. And then they do that. And then you get to see mm-hmm. if that works or not. And that's such an engaging way to bring the, like you said, throw them into the deep end 
and make them do half the work uh, to by the end, you're like, listen, if this doesn't work, I mean, we tried our hardest. Like, we, we've thrown everything at the fan, at the wall, to see what sticks mm-hmm. and, you know, come what may. And I feel like it, the way that it was going, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, you know... I just want to know how it ends, <laughs> just mm-hmm. so I can, like, calm down. <laughs> well, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I have to mention this pretty early on. In Not only do does she, like, talk through all of the different possibilities that, like, you may be thinking through in your head in this instant... The film shows you it visually. So, like... Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a couple fake-out ending moments that, uh-huh. the first time I watched this, fucked with me. Um, I think specifically of the scene with the brick. In yeah, the, yeah. Um, in the yard. Because, like, that, uh-huh. the first time that, sh- that scene happened, I was like, Jesus, holy... Okay. And then it's suddenly <laughs> all actually okay. And then you gotta keep moving forward. <laughs> yeah, and it does give you like a good ten seconds to just sit there in silence and be like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I only got one more thing before we can get into it. Um, I totally yeah. forgot about this, but um, this is during the time, at least in Mike Flanagan's career, when he was doing some work for Blumhouse. So this, along with his movie Ouija, Origin of Evil, which is a prequel to mm-hmm. Ouija, I think from 2015, um, that he did through Blumhouse. So, again, like we talk about all the time, Blumhouse is really good. It funds a lot of horror projects. Some of them are shit, and some of them are really awesome. And because it does something very similar, where unlike you know, streaming services being like, okay, cool, you made us a bunch of money, now just keep doing that forever. They are more like, we don't care if you write us one movie or, like, a whole franchise of the Purge movies. If you write us something that is compelling, that we feel like can get butts in seats, and we can make it for, like, under six million bucks, hey, got it. I mean, not, it's not that easy, but it gives <laughs> us, it gives creators the, you know, the, the pathway to be able to create something unique. And Hush is, you know, nothing but not unique. Like, it, it is yeah. extraordinarily new. Uh, it was, it's very fresh. And even now that there's more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's more diversity in terms of uh, sensory ability. Mm-hmm. Um, help me out. I don't know what the term is, if there is a term for it at all. There's more blind and deaf people in horror movies now, and I think it's very cool. Yes. Mike Flanagan uses it a lot. He uses a lot of people. I guess, is a, accessibility. Accessibility. Yeah. He uses a lot of people that are blind, that are deaf, or are in wheelchairs, or have other various. People who are differently abled. I don't know if that's. Differently, the yeah. I, I don't know the, to say it. Yeah. Listen, we if you listen to us thus far and you don't know that we love everybody on this podcast, like I don't know what to tell you. But yeah. people that are different in that way, um, mm-hmm. he. I feel like horror is one of the first genres that really turns the corner in terms of inclusivity and diversity, and I'm really glad oh, yeah. for it because most of the time they knock it out of the park, and even even in a post that age in horror hush still feels as refreshing as when it came out Mm -hmm. yeah um 
And yeah, I do want to also point out, I know you did just mention this, but uh, the movie was co-produced by uh, Intrepid Pictures and Blumhouse and then was distributed by Netflix, which is why it's the Netflix original movie. They put very minimal money into it, and so they were able to just kind of coast off of it at first. Um, <laughs> and then we're like, oh shit, it's extraordinarily successful. And they were like, oh shit, do you want to bring back Mike Flanagan to do more stuff for our streaming service? Like yesterday. Yeah, you want me to knock it out of the park again? And even more so? And that's just what he does what he does, you know? Mm-hmm. All, not all the time. He's Everything he makes is always good, but not everything is like, holy shit, I need to like rethink my life good. Well, yeah, because if everything's that good, then you, you're just going to lose Right, people. then make him They're president. You're not going to be able to keep I mean, up just... with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, so anyway, enough, enough jibber-jabber, and let's get into Hush. Yes. Um, so, um, as we mentioned before, the movie, uh, stars Kate Siegel, who is playing Maddie. Um, she is a deaf author. Um, it is revealed later on in the movie she wasn't, uh, born deaf. Um, she actually yeah. became deaf from an illness at around the age of 13. So she did used to hear, so she can still hear things when she's, like, thinking through things in her mind. She still hears voices. Right. Um, she says it's also it very like her mother's voice. Yeah. It's also very important to note that, again, part of her illness is not only that she has lost her hearing, but she has also lost her ability to orate. Um, mm-hmm. She cannot scream. She cannot cry out in pain. She cannot talk. She cannot even make like vocalizations. It is mm-hmm. silence, um, which, you know, in and of itself, it's very scary to think about, like, well, what if you can't scream for help, period? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, very briefly, we're introduced to Maddie's sister, Max, who's played by uh, Emma Graves, who I haven't seen in a whole lot of things, but I do appreciate that um, they appeared in both uh, Pitch Perfect and <laughs> a movie called Zombie Hamlet, which I'm I did notice by. Zombie Hamlet. <laughs> it looked really cool. Um, I do want um, to also shout out to Kate Siegel for um, naming the main character and her sister after her niece and nephew in real life. I think that's adorable. Oh, wow. That's cool. So Maddie is uh, a, a apparently very successful, uh, recently published author. Uh, mm-hmm. Sarah from Next Door, uh, she comes over uh, for a very brief scene, um, and it's one of the very few scenes that we get in this movie that have, like, another person. Um mm-hmm. Max, her sister, is the character, the aforementioned only on FaceTime character. Um, yes. Sarah, her boyfriend, John, and uh, the eventual intruder, and Maddie are yeah. the only people that we see in this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Sarah and Maddie have this very cool neighbor dynamic where um, Sarah comes over, uh, she brushes up on sign language with Maddie because she wants also- to be able to communicate. I just have to point this out. I saw this movie for the first time in high school, and I I know very little sign language. I mostly learned um, some things from, like, some people I knew who were taking classes. But the first time I ever learned anything in sign language was from this movie. And I just have to, like, shout out to this movie for that. Like, it is the reason I know how to sign the word bitch. Like, that's just... Yeah, I was like, I only know bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that uh, storyteller and kissing are very different also. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I also think that it's sweet that, um, again, the recently mentioned Flaniverse uh, of Mike Flanagan properties, and I feel like it is a quote-unquote universe because he uses the similar actors and... Uh, Basically, just it. He uses similar mm-hmm. actors in all of his works, uh, including Samantha Sloyan, I believe is her name. Sloyan? Yes. Sloyan. Okay, um, yes. Uh, she was, for those that have seen Midnight Mass, the show, uh, she was mm-hmm. the bitchy church lady. Uh, she's also Dr. Penelope Blake on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, uh, she's she was been... Lee Crane in The Haunting mm-hmm. of Hill House. She was Stephen's yes. wife. Yeah, uh, so part of the Flaniverse introduction is not only the similar actors, but also what's interesting is that this is the first of two Mike Flanagan movies where the book Black Mass is like is in the the material, which is interesting mm-hmm. because then several years later he will make Black Mass into one uh, of the Midnight most kick ass Netflix shows. Oh, sorry, Midnight Mass. Fuck, I did it again. <laughs> Black Mass is a different thing, but it sounds about as evil as Midnight Mass does. Mm-hmm. I even wrote yeah. Black Mass in my notes. All right. Anyway, so Midnight Mass, the Netflix series, mm-hmm. uh, the book Midnight Mass is written by Maddie, the character from Hush. Mm-hmm. And we know that it's the same story because when Sarah comes over to talk to Maddie about it, she talks about characters that she likes. And I think that it's mm-hmm. very interesting that the characters that she likes are the one of the two are is one that Kate Siegel plays in Midnight Mass. Mm-hmm. He's Mike Flanagan's just so smart with his casting years in advance, and he doesn't even know it sometimes. It's just uh, This man is brilliant. Well, and also he was able to foretell how a bunch of people watched Midnight Mass because the second thing that Sarah says is, I tried to guess the ending, but I was wrong. How, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of people went, I think it's this. And then even if it was, it was like, oh, that was executed very differently. (laughs) Yeah. I love Midnight Mass. I'm due for a rewatch soon, too. Yeah, I just finished my rewatch of Hill House a couple weeks ago, so I got to make my way over to Midnight Mass pretty soon. Yeah, once you stop crying and are ready for another soul-crushing uh, journey into your own yeah. psychology. <laughs> no kidding. God damn. God, it's so lovely. Um, and then, so, you know, Sarah comes over, they're brushing up on signs, uh, and she invites Maddie over to come hang out with her and her boyfriend, John. But she's mm-hmm. like, nah, I gotta work, which includes writing um, the treatment of a book named Sweetwater, which I'm thinking... Is that a Midnight Mass sequel? Does he have a fictitious sequel to a thing he hasn't even written <laughs> yet? He's ready. He's He knows himself. He's got his God. Flaniverse at the ready. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I, lately, I feel like one of the big things that like let, limits me from my own writing is I want to do something similar to like a Song of Ice and Fire or like a Flaniverse where I've just got all of this like decades upon decades of lore already mm-hmm. done before I even start the story. But then I'm like, where do I even begin? Yeah. <laughs> like, where does the story the I'm writing is. start? Right. Yeah. And then again, he's just such a God and Kate Siegel. I, again, I don't want to underplay her importance to this as well. Yes. Um, 
it brings not only brings her A-game to writing a character like Maddie, who I feel like with all of her characters, she is able to inhabit so well because she really knows those characters and she really can put herself... I mean, she literally did with this in this case, but she's able to put a part of herself into these characters and able to play them as human as she does. Yeah. It's also just very Stephen King of them to make Maddie a writer, uh, yeah. because Stephen King does that all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, because Stephen King's got to have his self-insert character, who's always a writer. I and mean, they're always got to have some it. addiction trouble. <laughs> oh, some Something or other. <laughs> oh my god, I don't want to know what life is like within the Flanagan home. It must just be like, hey, what do you want for dinner? And then he, one of the two of them just launches into like, a page-long monologue that just <laughs> encapsulates every, like, raw human emotion and articulates it in a way that you're like, I had no idea that there were words for that. And then she's just like, well, great, but, like, do you want chicken or do you want turkey on your sandwich, dog? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Or he's well, like, like, listen, um, I need to go to the grocery store. What are we getting? She's like, sparkling water or mineral water? It didn't matter when you're drowning in it. It's like, listen, we do not need to do a whole nother monologue right now. Well, I laugh because, like, when Mike Flanagan, as we mentioned earlier, he joined TikTok not too long ago. One of his first TikTok videos was him responding to a question where someone was like, okay, Mike, which do you love more, monologues or Kate? And he, like, kind of <laughs> joked around for a while. <laughs> I was joking, but no, that's... <laughs> I'm so glad that he's aware of the meme also. <laughs> oh, I love him. Uh, speaking of hilarious things, uh, Maddie unironically named her cat Bitch. And, like, it's not a nickname. It's on the cat's tag and everything. <laughs> what a masterful stroke. Um, and I have to mention, I know we're going to get into, like, some of the foreshadowing here. Um, can I just talk about how terrifying that fire alarm would be? Like, yeah. Like, for someone who's never seen it before? So, for the listeners out there who haven't seen the movie before, because Maddie is deaf, she can't just have your average fire alarm that just makes an annoying beep at you because she's not going to be able to hear it. So she has one that beeps extremely loud so she can feel the vibrations and flashes a very bright light very quickly and rapidly. So it's very disorienting if you don't, if you're not used to it or prepared for it. Uh, which is yeah. why uh, Sarah's immediately like, "Hey, um, what's going on in your house right now?" When the alarm yeah, starts going she, off, because she's just burning dinner, and Sarah's like, "Um, what the fuck is the yeah. siren that's happening?" Um, but the I think that the flashing fire alarm is one of the uh, first of many times um, that they do a masterful way of establishing all of the small mechanisms and mechanics that will be meaningful to the plot later. Uh, mm -hmm. For instance, um, when Maddie goes to open a bottle of wine, she sets the corkscrew on the uh, stand right next to the door. Uh, as Sarah walks up to talk to Maddie, she puts her phone in her back pocket. Um, mm -hmm. We learn about the flashing fire alarm... Uh, and I think that all of that 
is just such a brilliant way of interweaving all these mechanics so that when they're useful for the story, we as the audience not only remembers them, but is like, oh shit. Because like as mm-hmm. people are like, okay, well where where was this? We can have that conscious memory of being like, oh, it, that it, this is what happened to it, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after Sarah leaves, uh, we get to learn a little bit more about um, Maddie and kind of when, what she's like when she's on her own. Uh, mm-hmm. So we get a little bit of a voyeuristic type look into what her life is like. And another thing I will just commend about details is that um, you know she spends a lot of time on her laptop because she's a writer. Uh, her iMessage is again very. I'm like, ooh, 2010s to talk about like iMessage and FaceTime on your MacBook yep. and on your iPhone. I'm like, oh, I love all these little things that remind me of how <laughs> simple life used to be with technology. Um, so for those that I guess don't know, iMessage you can do on all of your Apple products, so she can respond mm-hmm. to texts and FaceTimes uh, on her laptop as well as her phone. Uh, iMessage also is very key. Uh, it uses Wi-Fi. And mm-hmm. Maddie lives out in the woods, so without a proper Wi-Fi signal, she wouldn't be able to call for help. Um, but on all of her listed contacts, like of her text messages and whatnot, we get to see little snapshots of her relationships. So it's people texting mm-hmm. her about the book, um, people texting her about not hearing from her from a while, because, you know, we'll learn later on that she kind of put herself in a self-imposed exile uh, to come yeah. out here. And we also learn a little bit about some guy who has the audacity, and his name is Craig. The detail Listen, of all of this stuff with Craig. We don't know anything about Craig, no, we don't. but I want to know so much more about what happened with Craig. Like, Listen, I don't know uh, anything about Craig, but he sounds like an asshole. About it, being a, it having been a year, and yeah. there's still in this like weird spot between the two of them. I want to know more about Craig, damn it. I want to know where he gets the audacity to try to FaceTime, or to try to call her, uh, when she probably has been like, don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually when she's like in a moment of writer's block, she's like, maybe I'll just FaceTime Craig. And I'm like, girl, don't call Craig back. <laughs> also, I it's just want to do to her like very, I feel like it's a very real moment of writing. Just being like, I don't know how to end this. Give me money, please. Yes. Like... Um, that is the most relatable thing <laughs> that I have ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Like, blah, 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 ending stuff, money, please. <laughs> I'm like, yep, that's about it. And uh, just as quickly as we have this, like, understanding of her average home life, the movie suddenly shifts on us yep. when Sarah is banging at Maddie's door, trying desperately to get her attention for help that Maddie obviously can't see while she's typing about her novel, one of the seven endings she's working on. And so yeah. Maddie can't hear or see Sarah being murdered at her doorstep. Feet away from her. It's, oh, it's brutal to think about. Like, that's a terror. that is a new, that, as soon as I saw this movie, that was a new fear of mine that I was actively going to get murdered. Seriously. By someone who didn't know I needed help. Well, and then think oh. about, like... You know, exactly, like, what's going through her mind, where she's banging and she's banging and she's banging, and on some level it's dawning on her, like, she's not going to hear me. Like, mm-hmm. all I can hope is that she sees me in her peripheral vision, but um, when uh, Homeboy shows up and knifes her in the back 
You know, yep. it's game over, dog. And it's also cool because around the same time that we're introduced not only to this intruder, uh, who we don't know anything about beyond what we learn in the movie, but, like, it's very little. Uh, but he makes the same dis- discovery at the same time, where he has just murdered this woman, uh, presumably within feet of another potential victim of his. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. he's got no scruples about wanting to kill more people. Yeah, uh, and he like he's like looking at her, and he's like banging Sarah's body against the the door, and you can see him like look confused, and he's like, "Cause she, cause she's not here, me." Like he starts like <laughs> tapping on the glass, anno- ignoring me. <laughs> I think it's the ultimate demasculation for him, and I feel like that was the first stripe upon this viewing where I was like, "Oh, he's not scary." He's pathetic as fuck. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know who's not pathetic as fuck, though, is John Gallagher Jr., who plays this guy. Holy shit. I love I mean, John Gallagher Jr. <laughs> he, he's so good. He's such a good actor. And, like, for our musical theater fans out there might know him from the original Broadway casts of Spring Awakening and uh, American Idiot, the Green Day musical. Um, and then some of our horror fans may recognize him from some things we've covered, like Come Play with Britta from Community, Underwater I forgot with about Stewart, that movie. Uh, The Belko Experiment, uh, which is a great office horror movie that no one would have mm-hmm. expected. Um, yeah. And 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is still on my list because I haven't checked it out yet. Yeah. I think one of the most important things that I learned about him, and this was like around the time that I first saw this movie, was before I had seen any of the other movies that he'd been in, and well before he had been in any of the future movies that I was like, holy shit, John Gallagher Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that not only was he in American Idiot and Spring Awakening, but at least for Spring Awakening, he's won a goddamn Tony Award. This oh, is a yeah. Tony Award-winning actor who is like, I'm gonna dress up and murder, try to kill this deaf woman. And I'm just like, <laughs> where did you find John Gallagher Jr.? I feel like this must have been one of the first maybe jumps to, to movie. I would love to know, like, just how did they find him? <laughs> so, um, a little bit of his backstory in terms of, like, film, um, is that he kind of started to make his transition from stage to screen with the Jonah Hex movie, and then he got picked up for uh, the Newsroom TV show with, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Uh, Jeff Daniels. Yeah, with Jeff Daniels, and written by fucking Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. He knew he could, like, work with material. Mm -hmm. Um, And then right after he did... Um, the newsroom is when he got picked up for Hush. Like, this was no one way. of his next things afterwards. And then the, around the same time he was doing Hush, he was also doing Ten Cloverfield Belko. Lane and The Belko. So all yeah. three of those introductions for him into horror were, like, back-to-back right after he finished with The Newsroom. And I found out he's also had worked with Aaron Sorkin before, in a couple and, episodes and of two the episodes West of West Wing. Yeah. I was about to say, I'm like, holy shit, he's in two episodes of the West Wing. So yeah, this guy has made a wild career shift, but he's just so damn good, I'm not even mad about it. Like, I no, can't wait I, to see what he's he does incredible. next. And 
like it, it's it is really funny upon several rewatches of this movie to rip this guy apart because he's just like oh god but i really just want to say how much i appreciate his dedication to this character and mm-hmm. then i want to thank this movie also for just opening my eyes to like yeah we got this extraordinarily talented guy to play dress up in a mask which I feel like is always such a cool thing to learn about the people that play the killers, usually, is more often than not, they are just, like, friends of the director or played in a band with the director or just a huge, scary-looking foreign person working at a butcher that the director used to go to in college. Mm -hmm. And all these people usually just, like, trip their way into, like, iconography. Like, you know, Nick Castle just really liked playing the keyboards and the guitar. And then his buddy, John Carpenter was like, Hey, do you want to dress up in this mask? You don't have to talk at all. Um, mm-hmm. And then just try to stab Jamie Lee Curtis. He's like, okay, cool. I'm really focusing on my like music career though. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this will be purely incidental in your long, you know, <laughs> like your the long career move. Yeah. So not to say that, like that happened here, but I just, I love and appreciate the, the people that play the mask killers very very much um mm-hmm. and as much as i hate the mask i think that it's way scarier than him taking it off it's very man in the mask from the strangers mm-hmm. but i also really appreciate his sinister intent of what it means that he's not wearing it well, yeah, uh, as like, much as i'm like I it's just a fucking it's... guy <laughs> yeah i love that it's him because at right before he takes the mask off uh maddie writes on the glass door like i won't tell anybody i didn't see your face and he reads that and he actively chooses to take the mask off to essentially let her know that she's not the one making any decisions here and that she well, doesn't and, have any choice in the matter now it is life and death a hundred because yeah yeah because like what does it mean to you know to see somebody kill somebody and they weren't wearing a mask that means mm-hmm. that you can identify them, which means that you're going to have to die also. Which, I mean, remember the ending of The Strangers. Like, they all ceremoniously take their masks off because mm-hmm. that's kind of their unspoken way of telling their victims, like, you're going to die now. Um, and it has a very similar sinister intent in this movie uh, where he takes his mask off and is like, you know, can you read my lips? And mm-hmm. she nods, and he's like, well, you've seen it now, haven't you? And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But let's talk about him for a second. So, the man, as he is called <laughs> in this movie, we never get a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, We don't know much about why he's killing people. We don't know how he knows Sarah, or how he came to know her or Maddie. We don't know uh, how long he's been doing it. Um, I do not buy the notches on his crossbow. That's a call ahead. Um, <laughs> but he, he, you know, you know, he's got the knife. He's got a, a scary looking plaster mask on, um, and he's dressed like the wet bandits from Home Alone. Uh, he's got like a like literally. You see what I mean, though? Like <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> I was got like I read your notes before I rewatched the movie, and then I started <laughs> laughing when I first saw him. Like, he's a mix of the Wet Bandits and some like grunge Green Day fan in the early 2010s. Someone who would have been an American after idiot. American Idiot. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, I also, I love just ripping him for, for choosing a crossbow as his weapon. Cause like, who the fuck uses a crossbow? <laughs> like, assholes. <laughs> like, there's no way he's trying to use the crossbow to like actually take people out. I imagine he mostly tries to use it just to incapacitate people so that they're yeah, I mean, yes. to kill. Cause the whole thing Which, right. with this masked killer is he's not a... I'm gonna go out on a limb here. He's not, he's a not good, good at killer. <laughs> no, he's kind of bad which is at why it. I'm. This is my theory that he's actually an amateur, uh, and he's this is like his first night ever doing it because he's hilariously bad at it if you really look hard at it. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, uh, one of his biggest identifying features that you wouldn't have needed him to take his mask off for <laughs> is his giant ass. I'm sorry, his giant. <laughs> neck tattoo of a snake or some shit i don't fucking know yeah like a snake or like, a dragon or something like the whole time like i've seen this movie several times so just because i wasn't paying attention directly to the dialogue sue me uh but the whole time mm-hmm. he's threatening her after he's taking his mask off i'm just like so homeboy really went into his shop and was like let me get a big ass snake on my neck so, you know something that's easily visible when i'm committing my crimes I'm like the fuck <laughs> Um, but I guess we should back up for a bit for something that is very legitimately frightening is that mm. before he does reveal himself to Maddie, he does break into her home and fuck with her for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. oh yeah. Cause he steals her phone that's on the kitchen counter while she's on her laptop and then only steps away from Maddie when he sees that a FaceTime call is about to happen, which is what Maddie and Max talk via. Um, and it is kind of goofy to see him sidestep when a FaceTime call is about to start. <laughs> you noticed uh, that, did you? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, and like, then, oh, but to really freak her out, he starts sending her pictures of herself from her phone. Yeah. Which... It's very frightening. I don't want to ever receive pictures of myself at that moment from any of my own things. I don't really want to see pictures of myself at that moment, period, most of the time. Whoa, whoa, dark. Well, no, it's just, I don't need people sending me pictures of me. I know what I look like. I'm good. (laughs) So I should stop snapping you while I'm in the room with you because it'll freak you out. No, that's okay because I know you. Oh, right, of course. (laughs) Uh, But it is very, like, Scream 4 uh, of this movie. Because, like, Scream 4 was 2012. So maybe more like Scream 5, uh, where it brings in the, like, texting of pictures of you via the same phone that you're talking on. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that it just it, it just helps to hammer home the like mid twenty tens vibe, um, but it is very scary to receive text messages of you sitting on your couch working, uh, you walking around your house trying to find your cat, and then mm-hmm. you on your laptop seeing the pictures that you've just started being sent, mm-hmm. um, and it is all in service to set up Maddie to go look at the front door. Where homeboy has basically probably sat there and be like, okay, okay, okay. Should should I have the mask? No, I'll have the mask on. Uh, Should I point the crossbow? No, I should put the crossbow away. I'll I'll just sit there menacingly, right? Mm -hmm. Man, I really hope she opens those text messages. (laughs) Because I'll just be standing. You know what? Maybe I should send her one. Okay, and here she comes. 
And it is very scary. I am just pulling the teeth out of it because it is a very frightening scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, that's how, uh, you know, Maddie actually first sees who she's dealing with. Uh, She bum rushes to close and lock the door um, Mm -hmm. and to make sure that all of the entrances and exits of her house are secure. Uh, And then they have that very brief exchange where... Um, he, he establishes, he, he figures out that she's deaf, clearly, mm-hmm. um, and he makes his demands to her known, essentially, that he can come in anytime he wants, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of get a sense of the game that we're playing here, that this guy, the, the point is to kill her, uh, and he and doesn't care who she as is, much as, as much right. as he can, in the right. meantime. So, so, like, this is not someone that's going to be reasoned with. Um, she tries to fake him out and be like, oh, my boyfriend's coming home. And in a very chilling way, he parrots back, uh, her sister and her conversation where Mm -hmm. her sister made this judgment about like, oh, you know, you're all alone out there, blah, blah, blah. So he's making her aware. Not only does he know about that conversation, he's been inside of her house. Um, Mm -hmm. but he's no fool. Like he knows that she's on her own. Now he knows that she can't hear. So the disadvantages are just piling up, uh, mm. and I feel like that's the type of fear that he loves. Well, and then he further isolates her by shutting off the power, which is on a circuit breaker outside, right. which is mm-hmm. a bad place for a circuit breaker, in my opinion. Those should be in basements. Yeah. <laughs> Those should be, yeah. I would have been a lot more afraid if he had cut the router while he was inside, and she was oh. just like, what the fuck? The, the, the Wi-Fi went out, and then she walks past the door, and he's just like, hello. <laughs> With the full Doubtfire hello. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Somebody needs to do, like, a scary horror version of, of <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I don't know if the political climate is right for it, but, like, it would just oh. be hilarious. <laughs> thinking about this like all day now you're welcome um <laughs> just like like you know how they did that like edit of the trailer for elf as like a horror movie there's one for scary poppins y- y- right right i feel like someone needs to do one for mrs doubtfire <laughs> i'd watch it i'd be intrigued oh god i would absolutely um so things start to get worse for maddie um she, you know, she's she's quickly trying to get a sense of what what's going to happen to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, the guy is now patrolling around her house. Um, there's really no real hope of rescue. She can't contact anybody. No one's coming to, to get her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he starts to taunt her. Uh, in I'm going to say this is one of Mike Flanagan's really good scares, and it's a very good slow build scare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the... Very innocuous noise or thing. Uh, Just something that doesn't seem to be very sinister in and of itself, but it catches your attention. And in this Mm -hmm. case, it's a very subtle, far away, it's in the back of the house, banging on the window. So Mm -hmm. over time, you know, she can't hear it, obviously, but she sees it. She sees, uh, you know, the shape of it out there. And, uh... It's a slow, innocuous thing that leads to something so abjectly horrifying that it almost 
it, it's like such an undersell for such like a terrifying thing that it makes me kind of go, I don't like that. And in this case, yeah. uh, it's the man using Sarah's dead body to knock on the window. <laughs> yeah, like there's just something about any killer in a horror movie that uses a a, uh, a corpse, for lack of a better term, to like interact with a living person. Like I think of in like the the first it of the modern two it movies when pennywise starts waving yeah. with like severed arm or, <laughs> I love art the clown doing fucking anything to anyone in either of the terrifier movies like that kind of stuff just like kind of messes with my head because like it's yeah. funny to see sometimes but when you think about the implications just like oh jesus christ yeah, it, it's very, like, Rob Zombie, almost. Like, it takes a turn yeah. into, like, you're just being mean while someone is, like, at their worst day ever. Like, mm-hmm. my thing is always, like, I, I it, it really bothers me when it's, like, someone is, like, scream crying, and then whoever is tormenting them does, like, mocks them with that. Like, mm-hmm. they do it back to them. Like, it's yeah. so terrifying to watch somebody do that, because it's, like... There is absolutely zero empathy taking place here. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. It, it's just, it speaks volumes without saying much. Um, but I, I can think of another Mike Flanagan one, and it's the scariest scene in for me in Haunting of Hill House when little tiny boy Luke wakes up to just a very, you know, slight knocking outside in the hallway mm-hmm. that's um, followed by periods of silence and then back to the rhythmic knocking over and over and over again. And I'm like... What's that? And then he looks, and for those that have seen The Haunting of Hill House, uh, it's a it's one of those scariest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, uh, you know what? I I don't need to watch any more of this show tonight. I think I'm just gonna go to bed. Uh, <laughs> gonna call it a day. We'll come back tomorrow. Yeah. Caleb and I were watching the show, and that episode happened. At the end of it, we're like, let's just stop. For tonight, because if it gets worse, we're not going to be able to sleep. Yeah. Um, but the movie progresses very beautifully from that point as like a series of trial and error, smart moves that most thriller and non-horror fans will really respond to and appreciate. And uh, I think it's the the smart nature of the writing needs to be lauded because it feels so real and so considerate of all of the available possibilities that either the protagonist with reasonable amounts of certainty and the viewers who are paying close enough attention will be able to do. Well, yeah, and like that's why I really love how they went about writing this movie was that before they actually put pen to paper on the full like script is that they, like, mapped it out using their own house to just, like, for lack of a better comparison, they, like, role-played how they, like, this ran the could scenario. work. Yeah, they could run different scenarios so that they had all these different options that they could pull up from, kind of like how Maddie thinks. They have multiple options, and they can see which one is the most compelling. Or if they want to show mm-hmm. multiple ones, which are the ones, plural, that are worth showing and having the viewers experience rather than just thinking yeah. about like especially by the time <clears throat> you know Maddie sits down and basically asks herself okay what are my options what mm-hmm. have i tried 
you know, what have I got? And by this point, I mean, I didn't do like point by point movies for uh, notes for the whole movie. Um, but at some point, uh, Maddie gets injured in the leg in a very uh, like vital area. So yeah. it, it not only limits her mobility and it presents the opportunity of like, okay, well, you're going to be moving slower. You might not be able to be as dexterous as you were before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it eliminates just waiting for help. Because now she might bleed to death. So it's like, yeah. all right, with this on the table, what are my options of survival here? Mm-hmm. Well, and I do have to commend, like you mentioned in your notes, that right after she gets the first crossbow bolt into her thigh, she then <sighs> like fully backbends to avoid a crossbow bolt straight to the head. Which oh is yeah, so that's impressive. so dope. <laughs> it is really cool. And again, I'm going to go back to rip it on the man for a second. Mm-hmm. No matter who you are, no matter how you are dressed, you cannot look cool reloading a crossbow. Straight up. <laughs> you just can't. Because yeah. you have to, like, stop everything else you're doing and, like, dedicate a lot of effort to fucking reloading this stupid weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and right after she had gotten shot... Uh, she was able to um, fucking take his bitch-ass crossbow. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, now you don't have a ranged weapon. However, yeah. because it's such a stupid weapon, it's a hard weapon to use in your own defense. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, not only is it hard to get a kill shot, but it's hard enough to load as it is. Like, it takes a yeah. lot of effort to bring that, you know, string back. And <laughs> the man even, like, makes a note to be like, not as, not as easy as it looks. I'm like, then why did you pick it? Why did you pick it, you <laughs> stupid moron? Just get a gun, it's America! <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry. <laughs> part of the fun, because again, I, I have seen this movie several times, part of the mm-hmm. additional fun, because like, not to say that it doesn't get better the more times you watch it. I just know everything that's already going to happen. So all of mm-hmm. the fun twists and turns, I know about them already. So it was more, I had to find, because I'm an ADHD boy, I have to find Mm -hmm. a new thing to, like, orient my attention. And the thing I found was, the man isn't that scary, and in fact is kind of pathetic if you think about it. And then Mm -hmm. that just colored every scene from there on after. I do like the theory that, like, this is his first time, which is why he's such a random weapon for him afar. He thought it looked cool, I think he was, like, testing him out. And, like, yeah. the notches are just him, like, mentally messing with anyone who might steal it. Because the other thing is, <laughs> if somebody steals a crossbow, it's 50-50 if they're going to be able to actually use it against you. If they right. get your gun, you're done for. You know what? Maybe that's true. Maybe I should give him some more credit. Oh, yeah, I don't I, think I, I did write that far ahead, but yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, you did. If you were the killer, you can learn from his stupid, dumbass mistake. Exactly. Um... Yeah, because, like, literally one of the last notes I had about the crossbow shit was, he killed 13 people with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this um, is when we get introduced to our final uh, oh, character of the movie. John! Is, uh, John. John, Good guy, John. no! Uh, Michael Truco plays John. Um, he's actually a pretty nice size again another pretty big actor they got for this movie Mm -hmm. uh he was um a series regular in battlestar galactica yep um he's also been in other mike flanagan works like the midnight club and midnight mass he's He's gonna be good doctor house of usher Mm -hmm. 
Uh, uh, something called Disjointed. Some of his horror uh, credits include Wishmaster 4, The Prophecy Fulfilled, Whoa. and The Bye Bye Man. Oh, no! <laughs> uh, I mostly knew him he before watching this movie as uh, he was one of the love interests for Robin in How I Met Your Mother. Um, yeah. So, so that's how I know him for a while. Now I just know him as, oh, it's the boyfriend from Hush. Uh, I, I love that's John. that's a better credit to his name. So you talked about your Netflix soapbox you're going to get on in a minute. I'm going to get on my brief little uh, soapbox about good guys in horror now. Because okay. because of John, spoiler alert, John gets murdered. Uh, because of John, I get really nervous when there is a good man in horror movies, and he's not the main character. Mm. And, because it... First, I don't want to be like, there aren't a lot of good male role models in horror. There totally are, I guess, but, like, don't go to horror to get role models. That's not a good idea. Yeah. Uh, But, but like, usually, I feel like there's this trope of... um, Here's a good example. You know in Frozen, the Disney movie, how mm-hmm. we're led along, we're strung along by Hans, the prince of the Summer summer Isles, and we're yes. led to believe that he's this actually good guy and he turns out to be a shithead? I feel like after that, and even before that, if you were like a good guy in anything, nine times out of ten you were going to be a bad guy. And it's mm-hmm. not that I like need there to be not that, but it just kind of, I really appreciate it when they are just good. And John is just good. He cares about his girlfriend, Sarah. He's gone to look for her. Uh, mm-hmm. He runs into the man outside who does a shit job of trying to impersonate a cop. And John doesn't buy it for a goddamn second. He then mm-hmm. is very concerned about Maddie. And he almost kills the guy even after he's been stabbed in the throat. Yeah. Also, um, Matt, I have but, to admit, I'm so excited to talk about Barbarian at some point to talk more about guys in horror mo- in modern <laughs> horror movies. Yeah, that's, that's a good, gonna be a example. whole. That's gonna be a whole chat. <laughs> I mean, dude, Scream Six tried to do yeah. that, and for a second, I'm like, don't you dare, don't you dare try to rewrite this man. <laughs> and Belle and Marissa are both convinced that he's gonna be the killer in the next movie, and I'm like, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> Don't say he it. He needs to be around. He is totally going to be the new Cotton Weary, and he's absolutely going to die in the next movie. I really don't yeah. want him to, because I love him. Because all <laughs> he is is nearby, capable, loyal, and handsome. And mm-hmm. he lives. And I'll, that's all I needed. I need another John. That's the John energy I'm talking <laughs> about. Anyway, so John expertly does not fall for the man's fake cop routine, especially, again, because he's dressed like a Home Alone bandit. Um, (laughs) And uh, even when he gets stabbed in the throat, uh, he he, plays dead to get the guy to come close, you know? Well, yeah, and he is stabbed in the neck because the one second he looks away from the man who was in the mask with a rock in his hand at the ready to take this guy out is when Maddie he hits the his window. fucking ass. Yeah. And so as we see in a really well shot stab, which I, I know it. is kind of like a basic thing in horror, but it's so well done here. Cause it's just such an abrupt stab out of nowhere. And I really like the sound oh, yeah. design of that moment too. Uh, mm-hmm. And the man at that point is just going, it's done, man. It, it's done. Just, just, it's I, done. Something about that's very creepy, too. Because, like, 
you get if you get nicked in the throat, it's one of the ways I feel like you like Sweeney Todd. You can appreciate this when you mm. slit somebody's throat just purely from a physics and biology angle. Mm-hmm. They're screwed. Like they are not. Unless they're Tom Hardy from Lawless, and you can somehow hold your neck wound shut long enough mm-hmm. to get it, like, sewed up, you're gonna die. And if you get, like, st- full front stabbed in the jugular, like John, unfortunately, you're was... It's like, over. You're, you are done. It's, like, minutes, yeah. and then you're done. And it's not minutes for you to put up a fight. It's, like, you get about ten seconds of your full strength before it just slowly drops off. Mm-hmm. And um, John takes advantage of that, probably because he's... Smart and uh, mm-hmm. plays dead. He conserves some of that strength. So by the time the man comes over to check him, saying uh, he says something about how he's like, "Yeah, I never would have won that fight." I'm like, "Yeah, because you're a pathetic asshole who uses oh, yeah. he crossbows." Walks <laughs> he walks up to him and he goes, "I gave myself about a two out of ten shot to actually take you out of seriously came to a fight." <laughs> he needed to get the drop on him, and I mean that's the reason he's going after a fucking deaf woman alone in the woods because he's a pathetic mm-hmm. murderer who could not even hazard a chance. Mm-hmm. Like he's no Leslie Vernon. Uh, we, you've seen Behind the Mask, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's no Leslie Vernon. This guy is no, 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 no. like <laughs> he is not a team. He's not a champ. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, when he's, like, trying to convince John, like, yeah, this guy, like, knocked me out, took my gun and my badge, and, like, ran away. He's like, yeah, he was a big, big, scary guy. Uh, Linebacker. Looks a lot like you. Yeah, I'm like, bro, <laughs> he's, like, doing the thing of, like, the killer being like, oh, man, the killer came by, like, man, did you see the abs on that guy? I mean, damn, like, what physical form? <laughs> like, he's trying to pretend to talk himself up. <laughs> What a jackass. Um, but God, could you imagine, though? Because, like, right after he does that, uh, he has that moment where he takes John's cigarettes, uh, has himself a smoke, and it's one of the few scenes that I actually kind of like the man a little bit more because you get to see the real him again, the him when no one's looking. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead, but, like, can you imagine you're this guy? It's your first big day out trying to kill people. You've tripped your way into killing three people so far. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine that you got killed by your own stupid crossbow because you got distracted by a cat. Because he <laughs> he did. It's kind of hilarious that he's sitting there having a smoke, being like, you know, he's talk like he's doing what she's doing inside, talking through, you know, what he's gonna do next, and then he hears bitch the cat. Uh, next to him, he's like, oh, look, a cat, and totally takes his attention completely away from the house and oh, puts yeah. it on this cat right as Maddie is loading a crossbow to kill him. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I I love her little, like, pep talk for herself while she's talking about all these options that are no longer viable, and then she essentially is like, you you can't run, you can't call for help, you can't hide, you're running out of time, what is your only option left? Kill you him. fight back and you kill. Right, right. It's kill or be killed at that point. And yeah. I really appreciate movies that highlight that sort of thing. Like, speaking of John Gallagher Jr., the Belco experiment does that very, very well. Where it's like, mm-hmm. some people, when the chips are down, can do that. Some people, it will take them longer and they're not going to live as long. And not to say that like the killer instinct is like a good thing to have. But it is that sort of thing where when you have nothing else and your only option is to kill the guy, mm-hmm. you know, 
there's still something to be said about, you know, can you do it? Can you not do it? Maddie can. Maddie is like, I'm fucking doing this as best as I can. I'm losing a lot of blood, but I'm going to yeah. give it my all. And even in the the face of, like, she shoots him with this crossbow while he's mm-hmm. petting her cat. Uh, he's going to kill it, but, like, again, distracted by the cat. Um, yep. She shoots him, like, in the shoulder, like, right above the heart. Like, it's not in yeah. a great area. Um, now he's going to be more or less incapacitated uh, to some extent. He's going to be bleeding out. And but he, when he makes that bum rush on her, uh, shit. I was like, he, he resets the game when he uh, crushes her hand in the door. Oh, shit, which man. He I for- stomps her hand. I forgot that that happened in this movie. Like, I remember yeah. this, I remembered 95% of this movie, but it was until the door shut that I... That was when I remembered, oh, shit. I think I literally said, oh, shit, out loud when it started. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I forgot this. Oh, God. Because, yeah, her right hand gets fucked up. Because he curb yeah. stops it, like, three times before letting her, like, pull it in through the door. Ugh, she's not going to be able to sign with that hand for months. No, God, no. Uh, but even then, even when she has that, you know, she's she's broken her hand, essentially. <clears throat> she's mm-hmm. she's not backing down. Because uh, no. at the beginning of the movie, he told her, like, I can come in whenever I want. I'm only going to come in when you're, like, begging for it. Because, again, he's some fucking prick who's gonna he's using it for a power trip. And so it's not that Maddie is ready to die. It's that she's ready to fucking end this. Mm-hmm. So she's, like, she writes it in her own blood. Uh, yeah. She just writes do it on the on the window, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just writes coward because she knows exactly mm-hmm. what buttons to push because he's some fucking pompous fucking beta male, if I may borrow from documentary now, <laughs> who needs to get his kicks from murdering people that are not as powerful as him. And when those mm. people step up, you've seen the fucking up bugs life. When they step up, the bullies become like, Oh, I didn't expect this. And they fucking fold like a house of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he can't even break into her goddamn door with a tire iron. Cause I bet I'm not going to give it to the fact he's losing blood, but I'm going to bet that he trained more with his crossbow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I love that scene that with him in the background, actively trying to break down the door while she's writing descriptions of him and saying uh, her like last wishes that she went down fighting, she sends her love to those she cares about, and then she yeah. closes her laptop and gets ready for the fight. Yeah, she she grabs a knife, she barricades herself in the bathroom, sits in the tub, basically just points the knife at the door where she's expecting mm-hmm. him to come through. Uh, I don't n- know... How he managed to get in through the tiny ass window in the bathroom, uh, it must have been very noisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, he does manage to crawl in exactly behind her from where she is positioned in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, has to fuck himself up by gloating. And as he tries to stab her in the brainstem, he breathes on the back of her neck signaling mm-hmm. uh her his presence and in like a really it reminded me of daredevil for some reason it's but like it's she, such a daredevil move it's so you know what I mean? like she, so like she feels it and like as he goes to stab like it's not in slow motion he like mm-hmm. tries to stab her and she like 
turns her body like just so and stabs him in the leg with her like mm-hmm. opposite hand. Um, and, I mean, again, limits his mobility. It's painful as fuck. And she kind of planned it, too, because mm-hmm. then we move into this kitchen struggle, this legendary kitchen struggle. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's just such a really cool, like, fights are not fancy. And I feel like this is a really realistic fight because it's just like whatever you can fucking put your hands on you're using as a weapon. Like wasp yeah, it's spray. About, it's about brutalizing your opponent. It's not about looking good. It's not about making them look bad. Yeah, it's but about winning. taking them out. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. I mean, at the very least, the um, I think it's really cool that she starts to limit his senses. So mm-hmm. she's st- she's shot him. She stabbed him. Uh, she sprays him in the face with, like, wasp repellent. I think that's what that is. Yeah, that's um, what it is. It more or less blinds him. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, then she uses the uh, fire alarm to deafen him because, you know, she doesn't have the ability and continue to hear. to blind him with those flashing lights. Right, right. Like, so it's that's disorienting him. his sight even more. Right, right. And, I mean, it's dark in the house. You know, he already can't see as it is. Uh, you know, he's bleeding, he's injured, he's angry at this point, so his adrenaline's pumping, so he's not thinking clearly, um, and, uh, even though he does overpower her because he's physically stronger than her, I would attribute that much more to just the comparative loss of blood, Mm -hmm. uh, and just that he got lucky getting on top of her, um, so he's strangling her to death, and, um, she manages to pick up the corkscrew that was conveniently placed within arm's reach at the beginning of the movie to stab him like through the neck. Like, Mm -hmm. like it's really interesting the way she does it too. Cause it's like, she punches it. Like it's like a brass knuckle thing and just punches it into the side of his neck and just rips it out. And he's just got a leak to death on top of her. And it's wild. Yeah. Well, and then she just sits outside until the police show up and, the cat named bitch sits next to her and that's yeah. it that's the movie i feel like if there was any time to like i mean obviously she can't speak but like if there was any time to like give her a line um it would be get screwed when she stabs him. <laughs> i like it <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> it just came out of me when i was writing it uh but yeah that's it um and i think one of the beauties of hush is there's no sequel there's no prequel it's just hush that's it a modern Mm -hmm. classic a modern horror classic fuck you (laughs) (laughs) so now we have to get to the point of the show that um danny's gonna hop on his soapbox and get a little uh impassioned because of yeah uh, how modern media works so just uh, really real real, sorry Real, real, mm-hmm. real quick, just my last bit. is The last oh, day please. to watch this is coming up soon. Uh, but my last kind of little big thesis statement is this do- This movie opened the door for Mike Flanagan's success uh, on streaming. Um, and for seven years, it's been bringing people into the world of horror. It's been bringing them into his world and his style of writing. So all I can really say is to, within the time we have left, and we'll get to it in a second, to do yourself a favor and watch it or rewatch it, you will not regret it. Mm-hmm. Take it away, my dog. All right. Let him have it. Let him have it. 
2023 in particular has been a very um, defining year for streaming services. And I think it all started, granted, with the end of 2022 with a very dangerous um, precedent that was set by the folks at uh, Warner Brothers Discovery with uh, HBO Max in that they started canceling projects that were almost completely finished or were completely finished like in the case of the Scoob sequel. The Batgirl movie. It was actively finished, and then they decided not to release it due to tax uh, for tax cut because yep. Warner Brothers is not doing well financially. Uh, no, they have them. been struggling for the past two years, and uh, frankly, I don't think they see an end in sight, and so they are very scared. And so what yeah. they ended up doing was setting a very dangerous precedent for the other uh, streaming services because... HBO started taking off um, shows and movies that they had created for that streaming service so they wouldn't have to pay um, the actors, the directors, the writers, the everybody who gets residuals from a movie that's on streaming. They didn't want to have to pay those anymore. So they have made some movies disappear. Um, one of the bigger named movies that disappeared in that first round at HBO was the remake of The Witches, starring Anne Hathaway, um, which specifically did not receive a physical release. So once that movie was uh, taken away from HBO Max, it is gone, other than um, some illegal sites where you can stream things. It may or may not still be there, and that is potentially only a matter of time until it disappears. Um, Sadly, um, the other streaming services didn't see this as a warning and a thing to be mindful of. They instead see this as an opportunity for them to also cut costs because that's what business is truly all about to some corporations, um, which is not, is a mindset of their own. They're to each their own. However, no, I'm going to say I get a fucking wrong. Yeah, you and me are both artists. It's fucking wrong to it's, do. It's, it's a awful. disservice to what everything you stand for as a fucking business. You make money entertaining people. Why would you not want to do that? I don't fucking understand it at all. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be as civil as I can. I'm yeah, I'm sorry. I'm holding, <laughs> no, you're good. I'm holding back like seething anger while I'm talking yeah, in my bedroom right I can, now. I can feel it. I can feel it uh, for sure. <laughs> but uh, Netflix seemingly is jumping on that bandwagon as well um as we mentioned hush is uh being taken off of the service as of april 7th um which i think is a horrible detriment to not only the horror community but uh it's a disservice to mike flanagan and kate siegel for their fantastic work for the cast everybody who worked on this movie it is a detriment especially because for the past six and a half years netflix has refused to release a physical release of uh hush gerald's yeah. game um midnight mass and the midnight club all mike flanagan works that he has been for years begging for physical releases of because i think frankly he knew that something like this was an inevitability if he ever fell out of good terms with netflix yeah i don't think yeah, he's it's... necessarily fallen out of good terms but he is taking his um creative ideas over to amazon right now and i think netflix is kind of taking this out personally against him as a vendetta which i think is a oh, absolutely horribly awful way to run business especially when it's in when it's using a movie that has gotten you so much benefit off of literally almost no financial loss at the beginning for yourself 
I think it's horribly irresponsible. I think it's terrible that this is a um, this is something we're becoming uh, used to seeing in this industry. I think it's truly horrifying. Um, it's part of why I'm still very much a uh, physical release person. I have oh, a collection you and me of both, dude. that are, uh, fr- frankly, frightening to many people who might see it first before they actually get to know me. Um, <laughs> I travel with them, so they ha- it's it's mobile, but it's it's not easy to be mobile all the time. If you uh, ever meet Danny, ask him to show you the tomes. He will be very delighted to do so. I have both the tomes and like a plastic bin full of dvds and blu-rays now like they don't even all fit in my tomes anymore it's frightening um and like is bursting to capacity (laughs) but like last year i found the haunting of hill house on dvd at a i think it was at a target and i picked it up because i was like i just need to see this and it had some extended things that weren't on netflix Luckily, Haunting of Hill House was released because it was produced by a different company than Netflix. Netflix just was the distributor, and they saw how successful it was. So they, I think two or three years after it had released, they finally did a physical release of the show. Um, I don't remember if that happened for Bly Manor or not, um, but the fact that it's not happening for Mike Flanagan's movies is truly a detriment, especially because if they continue to do this with Hush... And I can only assume it will be a, a um, inevitability that they'll do it to things like Gerald's Game and some of his other materials. I think it's truly going to be a horrifying thing that if companies continue to do this, we are going to lose. Streaming is coming to an end. I'm calling it oh, right it, now. It's, it's absolutely streaming, collapsing in on itself right now. And it needs to. Streaming is going on that. the way of, ca- of what streaming thought it was doing to cable. It suddenly <laughs> is doing to itself again, um, which right, I think is right. really funny. Um, it's actively... I don't condone anything illegal. I want to preface no, never, that. never. We would never... Uh, we, uh, yar, we would never advocate for any sort of bad internet crimes that are being thinly veiled by this character voice. Yar, oh, yeah. we would never do that. <laughs> I don't want to... But the problem is, at this juncture... With what streaming services are doing, they are making it an impossibility to get the same media anymore without these legal loopholes that are suddenly being required to view people's works. And the fact that some of these works are just disappearing, hard drives are being cleared. The Scoob movie that they created was erased from existence about 36 hours after the after the movie was scrapped. Batgirl's film was literally burned, from my understanding. What? So they could not get it back. Like, that, the fact that this ugh. they are going to such extremes to make sure these things never see the light of day again, I think is truly an abomination to media, to film, to the entire industry. And I think it's truly, it's just so upsetting that it's seemingly becoming the norm and that companies are accepting it. And I don't hear as much backlash from people as I think is justifiable. Um, yeah, I yeah. appreciate that people put Netflix right in their fucking place when they started... Uh, playing like little uh, babies at the beginning of the year by trying to um, gouge subscribers for even more money that no one was willing to do. I think it's only a matter of time until they actually implement that and the company will implode on itself. It does not have the same kind of things that it had at the beginning that warrant it being the streaming service to survive. 
frankly, it may be the first one to fully collapse of the big yeah. six or however fucking many there are now that people consider too the fucking big many of them, services because there are so many of them. And frankly, every single one of them is at a breaking point where if they make too many right or wrong moves, it will change the trajectory of that company for the next four to five years. And it's all changing the trajectory of, of streaming in the next three to four. I think, frankly, it is... Streaming is, if they're not careful, is going to go the way of Blockbuster. Wouldn't that be fucking ironic? Which is just too fucking <laughs> funny to me. It's so funny. If Blockbuster like, oh, itself the... makes a return as streaming Dude, dies, it is. I you, think that will be that? the irony that is just the cherry on top of Netflix's fucking grave. Everything comes round. Everything does. And I, I'm going to jump on this train with you. Like, okay, Warner Brothers has been a shitty business. It has shitty business practices for so long. I don't even care if we get canceled by them. They needed... They they purposefully black blacklisted Ray Fisher from the Justice mm-hmm. League because he spoke out about racial inequality and the fact that they treated him like fucking garbage and he is still blacklisted. And they mm-hmm. still got to keep making movies. Also, hot take... Um, as much as we want to support victims and whatnot, and we're not taking sides in the, the Amber Heard, Amber Heard, Johnny Depp thing, but that company fired one of them and kept the other one hired long mm-hmm. after it was legally shown that they were guilty of crimes. Well, and frankly, um, and I'm going to talk about, about a, that. an upcoming movie as well. Ezra Miller was actively hiding from law enforcement while they were doing oh. reshoots of the Flash movie, which I think is a For terrible sure. practice to be a part of. They are, and Netflix has, has just followed Big Brother. Th- their business practice now is instead of listening to the people that are in all walks of life, that are giving you money, your shareholders, just as well as your, you know, creators. Cons- consuming, yeah, yeah, your creators, but also like your movie going consumers, the people that, mm-hmm. that give you billions of dollars a year are telling you that they want to see the things that you created. And for fucking tax purposes, you're going to not only not release those movies, but delete them off of the face of the planet. Not only are you not, like, just being a hissy, you're throwing a hissy fit. You're throwing Mm -hmm. away all of these, like, not let alone all of these hard-earned, you know, hours of of creative expression and all the money that you wasted on this movie. And then you're just going to turn around and throw it away just to be like, fine, if we can't have what we want, nobody can. And for that to set a precedence that businesses want to follow, especially with Netflix, again, like, I hate to be like Alex Orlinas here, but like, you used to fucking be somebody, man. Mm-hmm. Like, we just sang your praises about how great you held, you know, indie horror for the better part of a decade, and you're just going to throw that away? For what? Like, so you can make it, I'm sorry, make another season of fucking Stranger Things? Like, I'm so fed up. With them oh, yeah, I'd like to point to... out, um, since we're talking about Stranger Things, um, one of the, any of the kids from Stranger Things for this final season, I think per episode, are making more than Hush cost to make, period. I'm f- literally incensed at how much they care about this fucking show. And, like, even Wednesday... Um, while it cost them so much and they're already trying to throw Jenna Ortega under the bus for talking one bad thing about it, which she was right to say, um, yeah, they're she already was. trying to cause issues again. Despite the fact that 
her iconic dance scene that everybody loved from Wednesday and went viral on TikTok. She filmed that while she had COVID actively. They she were waiting did? for her test and she was filming while waiting for the test to come back positive or negative. So yeah, they don't care about their terrible business practices. And I think it's dangerous to everyone involved. And I can't believe it is the industry accepting these as new norms. I think it's a horrible, right. horrible precedent to be setting all around. And frankly, yeah. it makes me worried for even more of these streaming services to hop on the bandwagon. Lord knows it's only a matter of time with Paramount Plus because they already don't really know what they're doing with Paramount Plus. Amazon Prime <laughs> hopefully so will fun. take for a while. So sorry. I'm just going down a tirade of fucking ruining all of the streaming services because I have... Hey, at least so, we still have Shudder. So many worries that there are so many Shutter. things could go wrong. Shudder and Screenbox are still doing great because they are actively still supporting indie horror and independent right. things. Fuck yeah. And bringing things back and making things available to people, which is what, what all of these other streaming services should be doing. Instead of continuing to grasp onto Stranger Things or um, fucking The Last of Us now... Uh, hey! And s- no, I'm not saying that's a bad it. thing. I haven't seen The Last of Us. I'm very excited to watch it. But that is HBO's current like money source. They're going to put all mm-hmm. of their funds into that instead of doing what streaming services really should be doing, which is building the most expansive libraries so that people across the world can see everything. We shouldn't be trying to get rid of things. We should be trying to include everything. People should be able to watch every movie that has been created. I think that's a very important thing. That is how we learn. We get to experience the past. That is the only way we can have a positive future. Right. Especially in this right. industry. We need to learn from Honestly, what hasn't worked to make something that does work rather than learn from something that hasn't worked to continue to make things that don't work. It doesn't right. help. It doesn't get better that way. And worked, so my last point on it, worked doesn't mean made a fuckload of money. Worked mm-hmm. doesn't mean we can sell merch about it for years to come. Worked means that a lot of people liked it. As much as I don't like Stranger Things or Wednesday, a lot of people liked it. It's just being forced down everybody's throat because it made them a lot of money on merchandising. You know what mm-hmm. doesn't make money on merchandising usually? Indie horror. So why yep. fund it? And I feel like that, as your artistic focus, is dangerous. It's callous. And it, I'm going to say it, it's very Weinstein of them. Because mm-hmm. that's what we've all, like, if you go back and listen to our, like, our old episodes, a lot of these, back before streaming, um, the problems were shitty producers who would be like, I'm going to just fuck with your movie and your artistic vision because I want to make money and I think I know what's best. And again, specifically Weinstein, we know that a lot of times these producers can be money-grubbing fucking immature children Mm -hmm. and they're not going to acquiesce to anyone telling them to do anything even if it runs them into the fucking ground. So um, learn from this, Netflix. Learn from this, Warner Brothers. And uh, if we have to cover every single movie that you're going to pull off of the streaming service, we fucking will. And we will show everybody, isn't it great that we can cover this? Oh, too bad they can't watch it on Netflix anymore. Hell, we can even just start covering Shutter movies just to pump their fucking numbers. Because they actually care about their content. Anyway. So all of that is to say, um, Hush is a fantastic movie. Um, I'm going to go one step further than what Matt said earlier. I would recommend that you watch it before it's taken off on April 7th. 
because April seventh. Yes. If you don't, you will regret it if it doesn't come. You back. will. And we don't know if you it's going to or not. It. And that is what's terrifying. Like the fact that the time I watched this today, day of fi- day of recording, maybe the last chance I get to watch this movie horrifies me because this movie has meant so much to me for the better part of seven years. Yeah, me too, man. Well, your mateys, if you can't find it on Netflix, you can always find it on the high seas. Wink, <laughs> wink, under me eye patch, if you know what I'm saying, yar. Um, so those that have stuck around through Danny and I's tirade, uh, follow our we Instagram at the you. underscore square horror podcast. Yes, we appreciate the fuck out of you because this is important. I'm really glad that you brought this up because, like, yes, we are a positive podcast, but we can still have passions and we can still have personal notes. And I feel like not only has a lot of our running commentary on this show been that horror is such a great and unique place for all sorts of people to to put their voices to something unique and to mm-hmm. make something that really speaks to people, but it also gives the creators the possibility to... I already said that. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. I'm just so fucking well, I'm heated. Also, <laughs> I'm also just going to put this out there. I think it's even more upsetting that this is happening... The year after horror has had its biggest resurgence in not only financial but critical success since the theaters. since the fucking nineteen eighties. Yeah. In theaters, oh, in streaming, yeah. in everything. They have found everything. a new life in horror and people are starting to expand upon it again. Articles are being written that horror is coming back. Horror never left. That's yeah, horror never fucking left, you horror. assholes! Horror has never <laughs> left, and every five to ten years, we get a new set of articles being like, oh, horror's coming back, and we're like, no, it never left, you just ignored it. Yeah, you and just heard if, about it for the first time. Doing, if we keep getting rid of these movies, people will be able to keep ignoring the great things that horror has done over the years when it hasn't been in a landmark year like 2022 or 1986 or 1984 even 1978 yeah. 1977 all these different years that horror like encapsulated a part of the zeitgeist we can mm-hmm. this is like if we were to just ignore all of the say superhero movies that came out before iron man in 2008 it's not that they didn't exist it's just that they were a different kind of movie it doesn't mean that they were any less relevant then. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can reach I us at know. squarehorrorpodcast yeah, at gmail.com if you want to chat any more about this. Yeah, if, if you want to talk more about this very specific thing that both of us definitely will talk at length about independently. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want to talk about Hush, uh, your favorite memories of it. If you like Mike Flanagan, you can let us know. Mike Flanagan, if you're listening, uh, you can just... Cu- uh, hi. Uh, first of all, <laughs> hello. How are you? Um, great to have you on the show. Very one-sided. Um, but yeah, you can reach us by email as well. Tell us about um, fun moments you had watching this or any other Mike Flanagan properties. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure one day we'll cover more of his works, especially if they're going to be unceremoniously ripped off of Netflix the way they are. But in the meanwhile, I will say, if you're going to stalk and murder somebody, don't. But if you're going to, don't use a crossbow. And until next time, everyone, you all stay spooky out there. Mm -hmm.